0: Welcome to episode 19 of the Agile Coffee podcast. I am your host, Victor Bonacci, and can be reached on Twitter at Agile Coffee. Hey, quick shout out to my new friends I met up in Burbank at Kate McGaughs Certified Scrum Product Owner course. Really good folks, all filled with desire to succeed using Scrum. And I have to say, I got CSPO certified back in, I don't know, four or five years ago. But this time... How can I say it? I'd I'd seen Kate present for an hour many times before, and these two days she kept us engaged and motivated. Lots and lots of really good stuff from the the Sharon Bowman techniques. Um, you know, inspired by the training from the back of the room. She was just up at a at a training in Nashville. Kate was not too long ago, but all these activities really kept the kept the thing moving and, and kept us just just on point. It was really a lot of fun. So I'd like to. Um, have her on the show sometime. Uh, I should I should reach out and invite her. You know, I just thought she's she's rich with so much experience with Scrum and back in her days uh, with PMP traditional stuff. She's worked with banks and online retailers. Plus plus she got her CST back in September. So let's pick her brain. You know, um, big shout out, big thank you to Kate McGaw of Brain Trust Consulting Group there and. Los Angeles, Nashville, Des Moines, Atlanta, Salt Lake City, Tampa—I think they're everywhere. Brain Trust, your trusted Agile advisors. braintrustgroup.com. dot com. Also, I want to know if any of you are going to the Agile Open Northwest. It's in Portland this February, coming up real soon here, uh, February eleventh through the thirteenth. Um, it's sold out, but there's a wait list. So if you are going, let me know because I'll be there. I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of new. New people I haven't met yet face-to-face and rekindling some uh, relationships with those I've met at previous events, but uh, Portland's a great town. You can check that activity out at agileopennorthwest.com. Gosh, there's so much to say, a lot going on in 2015. Uh, If you're local to SoCal, of course, we've got the uh, Scrum Day Orange County coming up March 3rd in Tustin. Uh, You can sign up for that now at scrumdayoc.com. Uh, And, of course, there's Agile Coach Camp here in Irvine this April. Uh, The Scrum Coaching Retreat is up in Seattle uh, later in June, I think it is. But, hey, let's get to today's show. Now, a confession, dear listeners. We record on Saturday, and I do my best to get them up within a day or a couple days, maybe a week. But today's episode goes way back, as you'll hear. Now, I'm not in this episode. It'll be John and Brett talking with Mike Bowler of Gargoyle Software and Brian Beecham from Iceberg Ideas. Really good discussions going on, and I'd love to have either of those guys on the show again. Uh, they were all at the Indianapolis coach camp last year. I'll be back next time with Dale and John and Larry. We'll be talking about fun Agile topics, but for now, I ask you to sit back, relax, and enjoy this brew of Agile coffee. And- Coffee angel. Coffee angel.
1: Coffee angel. Coffee.
2: What's up? Where'd everybody go, Brett? I don't know. What's I, what's
1: wait a second. People just disappeared all of a sudden.
2: Yeah. Well, what's up with that? But hey, remember that time when we were in Indianapolis and like we were interviewing some people? I think Brian Beecham was there too. Wasn't yeah. He? Yeah. This is uh, another episode of Agile Coffee. It's the first one that's on the road and we're joined today by Brian Beecham of Iceberg Ideas and we're joined by uh, Mike Bowler, Mike Bowler. So uh, these two gentlemen have joined us at the Agile Coaching Camp 2014 here in Indianapolis and we're going to do a really quick Agile Coffee and the first topic we have is using Lego to teach technical topics and story cubes. Starting now, first five minutes.
3: We've been using Lego a lot to teach technical concepts. Uh, We do everything from TDD to continuous delivery, pair programming, technical debt, because we find that if we make it fun, people learn better. Uh, And everybody knows how to use Lego, so we can just get into it. We have a lot of fun with it.
1: So are you using uh, just any old Lego kit, or are you using Serious Play? What, what,
3: what? We're not using Serious Play, although okay. we're, we're both very interested in the whole Serious Play thing, and we use that in other areas, okay. uh, such as in retrospectives. But okay. for the technical practices, it's just big bags of Lego that we'll dump out on the table and say, you know, build this sort of thing, build this, here's your constraints, Great.
4: this is what you have to do. Great. When, and, and when you do the, like, the um, test of development in-house, they'll be like, has has this come in, um, I, I put the packets, make special packets up so everyone has the exact same pieces of Lego, kind of showing that we can work from an even playing field and all come up with, you know, different, unique solutions. And it helps get them creative and emotionally involved in what they're doing. And they stop, the excuses kind of go away. Like, you know, I don't want to do this. All the resistance mm-hmm. kind of melts away because we're just playing. We're just playing. It's a safe environment for them to learn and to fail. And so we harness some real points with that. And it's... Um, since the original TDD Lego, it's, it's we, Mike and I, have been building it out to, as he's mentioned, all these other different, uh, essentially XP practices um, mm-hmm. that we're bringing into places. Because it's often uh, the managers want to know what's all this about, what's all this technical stuff that you're teaching. So anytime you can find kind of some props and things to help, mm-hmm. um, it makes a big difference.
1: So is there an ebook or is there an online place where we can go? And the listeners can go to find out more information about like what types of activities or specific exercises that you're engaging your teams with.
4: It's coming. It's okay. in the works right now, yes. okay, and nice. uh, there will be a release. So perhaps we have a. Yeah, you mentioned you'll have our Twitter handles up there at the end. Yes, I sure. can show. Us. So we'll. Uh, I will have to say to coming soon to a theater near you. Nice. But we have been working them out
3: and using them with live audiences. We've. Uh, we're teaching many, many developer training classes. We'll do a two-day training course where we'll introduce the concept with Lego, back it up with code, mm-hmm. go back to Lego, go back to code, some discussion. It's, it's an ongoing thing. And then we'll use just Lego itself when we're talking to non-technical people. So if we're mm-hmm. talking to management or we're talking to uh, you know product owners and we're trying to get the concept across of why they want to allocate some time to
4: clean up technical debt. Well, we can teach all that in Lego without having to show them source code. Nice. So now cool. here, you imagine a conversation where the developer says, Oh, I'm refactoring this right now. is different because now the product owner understands the importance of that, and they say, mm-hmm. "Oh, good, not, not. I don't care about that. Hurry up and build this feature."
2: Right. Well, so This is um, real communication that happens with the jargon that needs to be yeah. opaque to.
4: Yeah, they now understand cool. the words. I mean, that's a big thing we say in the slides: is that we want to teach you at least we can teach you the terminology that some developers speak. Mm-hmm. so we can have a common language. So how long have you guys been using
1: Legos or to play these types of um, games with your teams?
3: Well, Brian started this, what, a couple of years ago? Uh, we're into the, into the three range now, I think, okay. at this point. So he'd been doing it even before I met him,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and I
3: started seeing reports of him doing it at, at some U.S. conference, and everybody getting all excited about it, and I thought, oh, I need to meet this guy, because yeah. what he's doing is cool. Right.
2: we're well, travels and, fast with something yeah. that's unique like that, I think. Yeah. yeah
3: and then we, we we met and we started working together and you know now we're both adding to it but it's it's been a lot it's been going on for some time now
4: and are you, Well, I always push pair programming so pair presenting has okay. the same power yes. so definitely practicing what we preach
2: so are you seeing for example maybe not just the PO but other folks in the business um, perhaps executives uh, participating or observing these sessions
4: oh they, they love it They get right in because now they can play and now they can essentially write code with the Lego. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So the biggest benefit then is what? With using Legos for gaming with your teams, the biggest benefit that our listeners could use when they, if they adopted a similar framework is
3: what would you say? It simplifies difficult concepts to the point that you don't have to have the 10 years of coding experience to be able to understand it. Sure. And somebody can just walk in off the street and say, okay, I get refactoring now, I get technical debt, I get TDD, I understand how these things all fit together, even though I couldn't put a line of code together.
1: Right, and one of my experiences is that you need these technical practices embedded in the Agile um, framework, because otherwise Agile cannot grow past a certain point without these agile right. technical practices
3: well assuming that we're using agile for software sure. which is what it was intended for right. at the end of the day we have to ship product and in order to do that in order to get closer to a continuous delivery model where we're shipping product regularly we have to have very high quality we have to build things in a way that we can extend on them and build upon them and this is where all the technical practices come in if we haven't if we don't have good solid technical practices we can't build something that will sustain that we can
4: keep building on a lot of it's around communication Finding better ways to communicate. I know you were talking about story cubes earlier, mm-hmm. and that. sure. that's another great uh, communication tool.
1: Right. So today at Agile um, Coach Camp, there was this breakout session with Diana Larson and I believe Ellen Grove. Okay. That's name, yeah. From Canada, and they led an awesome breakout session on story cubes. And I have never used story cubes before, but we developed our own games within this breakout session, mm-hmm. and then we deconstructed what we learned from the games that we had created using these different
2: story cubes. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. Right. I mean, I think that's part of the interest is um, obviously you two gentlemen have developed a lot of games using standard, Lego, bricks, and the possibility of continuing to create more or maybe even helping teams create uh, games for onboarding or something like that would be a possibility. um, you've begun collaborating, I think, with some people on on creating games or maybe presenting them, right?
4: Um, yeah, people talk to me a lot about uh, you know how to make how to make games and how to go about that. So I'm always excited about you know getting fun into the learning. Right. Learning is a is a big thing for me.
2: So imagine if I was like uh, either a programmer or a tech lead, and I wanted to get you guys into my uh, shop and. I had to get a rep open, of course, by maybe my manager, so an executive. How should I get them kind of exposed to this concept and and understanding the value? What's the best way to approach that?
4: Well, I would say that you know these guys, amazing guys, um, yeah. also Canadian, have, <laughs> uh, uh, have have come up with a wonderful technique for for um, explaining all these technical practices, uh, you know, and essentially in. Uh, one day can show people how they all work, explain the importance of it,
2: mm-hmm. and that's
4: the nice thing. When we do a group of these together, you'll start to see how continuous integration and technical debt and refactoring and test-driven development, how they all fit together. Nice. You know, I think as Kent Beck says in Extreme Program Explained, he talks about, mm-hmm. you know, one of these things alone may really improve your the process of your whole company, but when you start using them together, there's a sort of synergy that happens.
2: Well, that's a very compelling soundbite. So. Look forward to having that happen more. And again, we'll watch the the website for uh, the the other documentation that'll come along with this. So we've uh, hit our extension uh, three minutes, and moving on to the next and the, the next one, which is continuous learning. Um, what's this all about? Uh, continuous
4: learning is uh, a, a topic that I want to see everyone talk about in, in their companies. Uh, I like to. Create environments, learning environments. If your company is in a good learning environment, you're going to be left behind by your competition at some point. Mm-hmm. They might be, you might be ahead of them today, but if they're learning faster than you, you're mm-hmm. going to be in big trouble. It's something that the um, lean startup community has really embraced strongly. Yeah. They want to learn as fast as possible, not necessarily even build as fast as possible.
2: Right. And there's a book out called like The Fifth Discipline, which talks about like learning as a competitive advantage. So let me ask the group this. Is continuous
1: learning similar and different from continuous improvement? And how's and how are they the same and how are they different?
2: Well that would be a great message uh, for our listeners to go and go ahead and chime into us. So if you have views on what's the difference or similarities and overlap between continuous learning and continuous improvement, please go ahead and send us an email or a tweet let us know your views on this topic and we'll be uh, excited to read that on air and, and maybe go ahead post it to the website so on continuous uh, learning are are there certain elements that you see as being you know uh, the bare minimum is there a minimally viable learning environment or something like that
4: well I see environments where training isn't part of the company
2: oh ah, okay and
4: I mean especially I've seen that in some startups where they don't even consider the training, or maybe a place has a lot of consultants, and they figure, oh, consultants, you've got to train and learn on your own.
2: Yeah, I so for,
4: That's a strong thing. They're like, well, I'm hiring this person for their current performance level. But mm-hmm. it's the, more of the internal way you work. I mean, we're continually learning about the mm-hmm. process. Actually, Tim Ottinger had a, uh, had, a, had a great conversation with him. Yeah, he was here this weekend. He was here this weekend, yeah. And he, uh, he talked about um, working with a developer mm-hmm. and saying, let's pretend... That we had a problem with our, with our network, and we lost all the, all the software that we had today. Mm-hmm. We have yesterday's in our source control, but we lost everything we did today. But luckily enough, mm-hmm. we happened to print it out right before we lost it. Okay. How long would it take you to type it back in?
2: I would expect not very long at all. Give me a number. Uh, I would expect that maybe 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's- maybe.
4: So people generally say that. They say between 20 minutes and an hour. Yeah. So let's, let's take your 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. If you were putting 45 minutes of code into the system, mm-hmm. what were
2: you doing with the rest of the day?
4: Okay. I mean, you've been here for eight hours.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point.
4: So sure, we'll say, take a
2: little bit off for lunch. Yeah, a lot of conversations, a lot of drawing on a whiteboard, conceptualizing and reconfirming the requirements.
4: What you were doing was learning what the right symbols were okay. to type in. So, we spend so much time measuring typing speed, Right. but it's not what we want. We want to measure learning speed.
2: How wow. fast
4: are we learning? Because if I could learn, maybe it's, you go, well, I'm just have a programmer by himself. Mm-hmm. I think after hearing those stats, you should pair them up.
2: We learn faster together.
4: We learn faster together. Yes. Therefore, now I can do it in half a day. And I know people like Woody Zool are doing mob programming and doing the entire team one right. story at a time.
2: Many to many collaboration. Absolutely. Their focus
4: has shifted from from heads being down. busy?
2: Yeah.
4: Yes, heads down being busy, their focus has shifted to how fast can we learn? Exactly. And that results in in more productivity, more value being delivered to the customer.
2: So that's so, why I say
4: continuous so is key. If
3: yeah,
2: we accept
4: that
3: most of our day is spent learning,
4: mm-hmm. then
3: continuous improvement and continuous learning really are synonymous. Because in order for us to get better at what we're doing, we have to get better at the thing we do spend most of our time doing. We're spending most of our time learning. Let's get better at that.
4: Well, I might argue that, though. I don't know if we want, do we want to do all that, or do you want to wait for your users to come into it?
2: Uh, we, this is a good, great place to pause before we do our Roman vote. We're, we're getting our voting thumbs ready. Um, so, yeah, let us know. As a listener, how do you think uh, continuous learning uh, should be defined and, and, and approached? Um, I'm interested in another extension on this guy. All right, so right. I'm
4: thinking if I, there's certain um, improvements I can make which would be maybe hardware-based.
2: Mm-hmm. Like,
4: for example, um, if we set up well, we faster laptops
2: mm-hmm. for our
4: developers, right? They don't have sure. to wait. If we have our, our continuous integration, maybe I have our DevOps team, right? Has, 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 have oh, they the, learned a way to improve? I'm not sure. Well, well they, they may can... already know the way. They just need to, may need to implement it and when they implement it, that continuous improvement is going to impact everyone. But it wasn't I, think really it is, learned.
3: I think it is all really contained because the faster the hardware is, the faster the feedback is coming back. The faster the feedback, the faster we learn. And so I think it really is, although improving the hardware is not directly learning, mm-hmm. it is so tightly tied to learning because that's what provides us the rapid feedback that allows us to learn faster.
2: Yeah, you know, I think that there could be, I, I guess, a uh, loss of opportunities or neglect of opportunities to learn. You know, we talked today or this weekend about the failure bow. At the failure bow, you know, it's not just that you acknowledge, okay, you made a mistake and you're humble before the group and you acknowledge it, you own it. But at the end, they say, okay, so what did you learn? And I think because we kind of denigrate failure, we, we look at it as like an evil, it's a sin to be wrong or... to to take a risk and it goes against you when we can say, oh, okay, but what did we learn from it? Then we're kind of elevating the experiment, elevating the person who took courage to take a risk, it went against them, but we can all benefit from the the lesson that's in the failure. So, and, and maybe that's by being in a mob or a group where we get that instant feedback, hey, what did you learn? And now everybody who observed can actually chime in and find the hidden lesson.
4: We need to really work on safety, making failures safe. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Very much.
4: And once it's okay to fail, your organization can really focus on learning. And then once you're focused on learning, you can improve dramatically.
2: Yeah, I'd say if there was any culture change that I wanted to make in an organization, any influence I wanted to exert, it would be to, to push the culture in that direction of elevating failure rather than denigrating it. Cool. So... Alright, the next topic that we have is human measurement and technology.
4: So this came up because uh, I have a new watch.
2: That's right. I, okay.
1: So, so, and I was describing the I was asking you yesterday at dinner, like, that's a really cool watch. So, so, yeah, what is that?
4: So I'm, for the, for the listeners, I'm wearing a, a Motorola Moto 360, mm-hmm. which is an Android, Android-based watch. Uh, one of the probably coolest feature about it, and my timer's about to go off on it, um, one of the coolest features about it is that it's round. Mm-hmm. It's not square. And um, I get my emails on it, and you can change clock faces and get messages. You can also, anything you can do with Google Talk, um, if you are familiar with the push to talk, mm-hmm. you can do through the phone. You can say,
2: okay, Google, and away you go. So um, it takes instructions, but how's that measurement?
4: Now, here's the cool part is that, thanks for bringing me back there. <laughs> i very <laughs> exciting about the gadget too. There's a gadget factor. It has a heart rate monitor on it, uh-huh. and it also has a pedometer on it. Uh-huh. So built right into it. So I can. Uh, I'm really excited about sort of human measurement. Um, I can take my pulse whenever I want, mm-hmm. and I can see how many steps I'm doing in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, my scale at home has it's got Wi-Fi on it. Okay. So I'm, I'm really interested in all these new pieces of technology that give us quicker feedback on on what we're how we are, what we're doing. If you mm-hmm. think about, you know, ten years ago, um, how often would people get their blood pressure taken, and a couple on, times a, a year on a doctor maybe. visit? Yeah, but now we can go to most drugstores. Well, I don't know what right. the states in Canada. A lot of drugstores have heart rate monitors, or they have um, blood pressure machines there that you can just sit down and for free check on your blood pressure.
2: You probably have to sign a waiver in California because it's very litigious. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean that, that's a good point. People almost lose interest, and it's not until you get some sort of Physical examination by a nurse or a doctor, so you get that kind of feedback. So that's the feature. But what's the benefit to having that information, that measurement, for you personally?
4: Well, I can. The pedometer is a big motivator. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny because uh, Mike's got a pedometer as well. I use a Fitbit. Fitbit. Yeah. So we'll com- we, we compare notes because often we're we currently we're working together. Mm-hmm. So we have a very similar schedule. Mm-hmm. So I'll say, oh, what are you at? And he's like, you know, usually he's about a thousand steps ahead of me. Nice.
2: Um, He's walking in circles, but it's a, big, it's a big motivator. Well, unless I've
4: had to go to like meetings, you know, across oh, okay. other sides of the buildings, then I'll be oh, okay. like, ha ha ha, I'm yeah. five hundred up on you. Yeah, just take so, shorter strides or something. <laughs> which is which is a bit of a gamification aspect too. Sure. I think we're looking at this number like a high score, and I'm going to be yeah. your score. <laughs> you go, yeah. And it's great because the watch will show and it'll track. It'll show my past week, nice. so I'll we'll actually see whether I'm improving or you know that's about as much as I'm doing.
2: Actually generates a histogram for you. So. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of nice.
3: Now, the place that his watch is better than what the Fitbit does is the Fitbit only tracks steps in elevation. So it knows if I'm going up or down stairs, and it knows how many steps I've done. Okay. But what it doesn't do is check my pulse. Mm -hmm. And there's a big difference between me doing 10,000 steps across the day, shuffling along at a slow pace, you know, I'm wandering around slowly, versus me doing 10,000 steps walking really fast in one hour. And there's a big difference between those two in terms of fitness. But Without it checking my pulse, it has no idea which one of those two I just did. Uh,
2: Okay, so now we've got kind of a whole new dimension on, I guess you could say, like the the biometric uh, feedback device. So it's telling you how much you've exerted yourself. So, what some people will
4: do is, um, I haven't done this with this watch, and to be honest, I don't know if I if I can fully do it or not, mm-hmm. but um, people who jog a lot, they'll have like strap, chest straps. There's no way.
2: They have okay. a chest strap,
4: and then and then it hooks up with their watch, and has a little Bluetooth going to their watch, and the reason they do that is they want to now, they want to exercise, as Mike's talking about, they want to exercise in a certain heart range,
2: mm-hmm.
4: so that they can see the pulse, and they can even have programs that will say, okay, now switch to like a... Bring you up to a faster rate, and then say, okay, start slowing
2: down. Well, so that's the heart a rate. That's the heart rate monitor. I see.
4: So it's just because they want to be extremely accurate about
2: it. Okay. I see.
4: Although lung expansion would be a very interesting thing to monitor.
2: Yeah, because then is it aerobic? Is it not aerobic? I mean, yeah. if you had an oximeter or something built in that way. The
4: heart is a really is an excellent uh, measurement tool for that, though, just so okay. to get people in the right range. They can do some. There's a kind of a loosey goosey equation based on on your age and. -hmm. I can't remember it offhand. It's something like 200 minus your 220 minus your age. The
1: the gym that I work out at it's called Orange Theory Fitness, and one of the things is everybody that's in the class Mm -hmm. um, wears a heart rate monitor. And -hmm. then what they do is they project everybody's heart rate up on a grid up on the screen. And then if you're in a certain heart rate zone, Mm -hmm. your your box that represents you because you'll have your name in that box will change orange if you're exercising within that orange heart rate zone, which is like, I think, 84% of your maximum heart rate based on your age when you signed up and your weight when you signed up. Um, But then, so the instructor then during that hour class will take the class kind of like through a... um, like a cycling class and we'll have people
2: get into the orange zone and get back into the green zone. It's,
1: it's very effective.
2: That sounds, well, it could be, it could be gamification. Yeah. It could be a, a trainer's uh, aid, I guess you could yeah. say, but uh, yeah, gosh, it's really next generation. It's a motivator
1: to, when you see the whole class in orange and you're still in the green zone and you're just, you just need
2: to give it a little bit more um, so that everybody could be in the orange. And so, it's so you, you can't really like make drama to make it look like you're really trying hard. I mean, they'll know. Right. They, you're know. they yeah, know. They know. They're acting. Right. Yes. I yeah. was only acting.
4: The nice thing about that is it doesn't matter what level you're at. <laughs> right. if, you're, if you're running beside a marathon runner, right? Right. they it's for them, their heart is adjusted. So it's right. harder for them to push up to that zone. Right. So it, it sort of measures exertion.
2: Nice. Well, I'll have to check this out. I, I'm, I'm interested in, in exerting myself and getting more fit. Um, and, and maybe that's actually another topic. <laughs> um, you know, Applying uh, iterations and Agile to uh, reaching a fitness level that you aspire to.
4: So I'd love to talk to you in a the, in the, in the future time. I know we're getting sure. low on time now. Yeah. But uh, I have a thing called uh, Human Refactor Experiment mm-hmm. and um, humanrefactor.com. Nice. my blog where I talk about uh, these things, talking about how technology can impact our lives.
2: Humanrefactor.com. So we'll have that in the show notes for you listeners to check out and uh, start writing your questions and cards down today because we'd love to have them handy for when we have Brian Beecham back again. So and hopefully it will be when he's in Orange County. That's right, or yeah.
1: Southern California at some point Absolutely. next year. Yes,
2: so. yes, well, there will be an Agile coaching camp coming up at some date in Orange County, and uh, we'd love to see you, gentlemen, again then. So uh, we're all going to split now, head back to where we came from. But uh, travel safely, and thanks for joining us. Well, thanks so much for having us on. All right, please.
0: Guys, what's going on over here? What are you guys doing over here? Whoa, why, why well why oh, my microphones
2: that, on? Oh, sorry. I drifted off for a second there. Yeah. We'll, but, we're trying
0: to squeeze another Agile coffee into the end of the No, we were hours. just reminiscing about good yeah, old times.
2: Good old times.
0: I don't know. It kind of sounded like an Agile coffee. Oh, okay. Let's do it. So that was from Indianapolis Coach Camp, yeah. right? Back in October, was it? In September. Yeah. September?
2: September. No, early October.
1: No, it was end of September. It was the 28th, 29th. You're right.
2: It was,
0: it was. End of there, September. It was a long time ago. Sorry. I thought those harp strings were pretty loud. That's right. Uh, and that's what gave you guys the... The idea, the idea for, for the Coach Camp Agile Coach West. Camp
2: U.S. West, a legacy of Agile Coach Camp U.S. in Indianapolis.
0: Right. And who and you met a few other people out there that are going to be involved with us here this year? Oh, right?
2: excellent. Yes. We, we, we got some very strong encouragement and support from Diana Larson and... De- uh, Deborah Hartman prius and a number of other people that uh, had organized previous Agile Coach camps. Yeah. Yes. Was Sue Johnston at there? Sue Johnston, the illustrious trainer of Agile coaches, was was present and inspired me to to take this big leap, and she has been so supportive that she has agreed to teach some classes on Agile coaching as adjuncts to the Agile Coach Camp itself. And where can people find that information? So if you go to www.agilegathering.com, you'll find that she has some links uh, to the description of those courses. And there is actually uh, pricing and ticketing information inside the shop. And so by all means, waste no time and make no delay. In running, not walking, running to go get your tickets before we sell out.
0: Thanks, everyone, for listening to this special reminiscence episode of Agile Coffee. You're welcome. Agile Coffee Going to clean up these microphones or
2: not? No, they're going to clean up themselves, or there's going to be a little invisible dwarf that comes and packs them for you.